to this ever since we chatted early like months ago now oh my god i know it feels like so long ago um <laughs> was it all the way back in april i want to say it was april oh yeah god. it's been yeah. a while uh I've, I've i've been so excited because this has been like the summer of of uh, author interviews and uh i so first of all you are the author of a couple of series the inferno <laughs> rising series the fire's mm-hmm. edge series the shadow cat nation series the uh brimstone incorporated or do you pronounce it brimstone inc i just say brimstone inc yeah it's okay. easier <laughs> <laughs> i was going full formal with it but sure yeah, yeah. uh brimstone inc um i way 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 back when um probably gosh probably about a year ago now i i was desperately searching for more dragon shifter books way before i started the podcast because i just was inhaling them and i went through ruby dixon's dragon shifter series and then i read dragon mound by thea harrison and i was like hell yeah but then her other books were not about dragons and i was like i want more dragons um so i found your books and i was so excited because your books are so fun and so my flavor thank you (laughs) i have so much fun writing them um so the the book that i started with was the first in the uh inferno rising series which has a a basically a dragon man bounty hunter essentially um a a muscle car and a woman who does explode with unfortunate frequency (laughs) (laughs) that was that was so fun and they actually had to change the way i wrote it and we changed it to migraines originally it was am i allowed to say this orgasms it was (laughs) yeah no really it was Mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, and they were like, mm, that might be too much, and so we changed it to the migraines. <laughs> for for book one, that might be a little bit of a tough, yeah. tough sell. Um, yeah, and it was, so we started talking, because I, I forget what episode I originally mentioned your series on. I was, way before, I think, the Dragon Man episode, I, I mentioned it. Um, I want to say it was a Shifters episode in general. The Shifters episode is when I, I like, actually talked about your book, but yeah. I, I definitely mentioned it beforehand because, again, I love Dragon Shifters, and so I'm always like... <laughs> they're so fun. They're so fun, and I want to talk about why they're fun. Um, if you yeah. haven't, if uh, to the audience, if you haven't listened, I have two episodes where we talk about um, Shifters in general, um, which is uh, We Stand a Dragon Man, uh, which is where I... I made a lot of shrek jokes and also <laughs> um, also listed a bunch of different dragons and my favorite documentary of all time which please tell me you've seen it but you probably haven't uh is the uh fake documentary that discovery channel did in the 2000s about dragons no oh my gosh it's on youtube it is the hokiest most like the funnest thing in the world, it's like follows this like American renegade biologist who, who knows that dragons are real, but the institutions, they don't believe him. They think he's a crackpot, but he's going to go find the evidence. And they find like a frozen, like prehistoric mummy of a dragon in Romania. And he like studies it. And like, that's how the world finds oh, out the dragons existed. That's um, awesome. I'm sorry. That's right up my alley it is you need to watch it he's got like bracelets he's got like long hair he wears cargo pants he's like real cool mid-2000s i just want to find evidence of a dragon even if it's fake (laughs) Uh, a really good book um that follows kind of the same vein but obviously like a totally different tenor um is a natural history of dragons have you read that no i have not that's interesting though it's a really good audiobook um it's basically like this this lady, um, this I mean, lady capital L, who who's like from the uh, English aristocracy. It okay. follows like the vein of like a British explorer, um, and she like ditches her life as as a lady, and she goes across the world documenting dragons, and she becomes the world's foremost dragon expert. Oh, interesting. Um. Well, and I could see, honestly, and I'm sure there's something like this out there, some kind of history of dragons just in the current world. Mm -hmm. Not that they existed, but that they're in almost every mythology that you can look at across the board. Yeah. Um, Unlike a lot of other paranormal creatures that tend to be only in one society or another, or maybe in a few, Mm -hmm. um, dragons are one of the few consistent kind of everybody thinks there should be flying, you know, flying lizards that 
breathe fire. <laughs> I would say, yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's it's a good point because what else do we have? We probably have some sort of vampire, right? You see vampire. I did this for Halloween. I did like a paranormal creatures and what's the history on each of uh-huh. them. Um, most have some kind of vampire, but it's never the same as like the Bram Stoker, you know, your classic yeah. Dracula kind of vampire. Um, but there's some kind of blood drinking. But a lot of them get mixed up with zombies because it's kind of a similar. It's true. Or like succubus, right? Yeah, exactly. So they can kind of, it's like, well, is this or isn't this one of those things? Um, most have some kind of like wolf shifter of some sort, werewolf yes. wolf shifter. But it's usually a man that doesn't change into a creature it's a man that changes into a manly looking thing with lots of fur and fangs right so it's more werewolf than it is anything else it's it's more crestly cole than it is like an actual shifter right yeah my wolves look like wolves exactly so it's yeah yeah, um different that way but it's interesting it was really interesting to do that for halloween (laughs) yeah i mean it's and it's so fascinating too because i i have uh I've written a couple of urban fantasy um, books and I, I, it's, it's so difficult to, there's, there's so much mythology in the world. There right? really is and, amazing. And it's like, how can I come up with anything new? Cause look yeah. at what they've been doing since the beginning of time. <laughs> but I found your, one thing I really, really liked about your books in particular was the, the clan system and the, the politics that you set up and how, um, like so much of their world is centered around not necessarily hiding what they are, although they're not, you know, they, they mm-hmm. do, but like just like the, the bare minimum of like, okay, we set fires a lot. How do we make sure no one notices that? Yeah. <laughs> like not that they don't notice, like it's not, oh, you can't fly out in the open yeah. because like then planes will see you and shit. No, no, no. It's literally, we set a lot of fires. <laughs> How do we keep that on yeah. the DL? We need firefighters basically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the funniest part about that is the way that came about was not initially deliberate. It was that we knew we wanted to have two series set in the same world. And I had had, when I did my proposal for the initial books, I had sent in several different proposal ideas. Uh And one of them was firefighting dragons. (laughs) And so we started with the Inferno Rising with the the Kings and the Phoenixes. And then Mm -hmm. My editor was like, oh, for the for the other book that we're going to have in the same world, why don't we use the firefighting dragons? And I was like, well, how's that going to work? And I was like, well, <laughs> they do it's, set a lot of fires. <laughs> I mean, you need someone to put them out. And like, right? and if they're like special magical fires, too, like that. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. I so I read um, The Mate last night. Uh, and which, by the way, I want to mention, if you are at all intrigued, listeners, that is for free. You can read that now. And get hooked on the series and then have to get the next ones like I did. Um, and and I, I it's so it's been a while since I read the first book in the Inferno Rising. So mm-hmm. I was like, I need to refresh my memory. I want to I want to, you know, really want to want to immerse myself in the flames <laughs> once more. Um, and I I uh, I loved again, I was reminded about how much I love the stakes of your book and the stakes of like finding your person because you have an element of faded mates right Mm -hmm. but you you kind of nudge it up against this like (laughs) if you're wrong about who you think you die that you die gruesomely yeah um i i just that was like how did you come up with like such a grim facet of this you know, it was one of those things where I was like, I love the idea of faded mates in general. I yeah. love that idea. I think because maybe in our society as it stands, it's just so easy to be like, not this guy, and then move on and divorce. And like, divorce is just so prevalent. And so like, there really isn't a, yeah. um, most people don't find that, you know, once in a lifetime thing. And so, or it's really hard to find it, or you have to work for it or whatever. And faded yeah. mates just like, if you're going to escape into fantasy, I'd like this to be like a done deal. And I know I've got the right guy kind of thing. Absolutely with you. Yes. But at the same time, I wanted there to be an element of choice. Mm-hmm. And because a lot with the faded mates, it's like, boom, you see each other or somebody bites somebody and then you, you know, you're faded mates and you don't really get any choice about it. And you're like, well, I guess this is supposed to work out. And I also wanted there to be, I don't know, I think you're right. It's the higher stakes. It's like, okay, if you get it wrong, you know, make sure you're getting it right. Um, 
it just added, I don't know. I like to torture my characters is what it comes down to. And you do that. (laughs) You do that. Poor Finn. He didn't deserve that. Yeah, but he found the right woman in the end. So like for, yeah. And, After he um, got a little crispy with the other one. Yes. Well, and originally um, I was torturing just the women because it's the, the women who are the ones that, that pass away. Yeah. That pick wrong. And um, my editor and I were like, uh, you know, we really need to have there be a consequence for the guys too. Like there should definitely be, they yeah. definitely need a consequence. And theirs is more subtle. You know, they lose a portion of their soul. But that becomes, I think you see with, as you, especially as you go through the series with Titus in particular, um, that becomes obvious that actually there's a bigger consequence there. It's one that maybe even more far-reaching yeah i it's and it's so interesting too because what one of the stakes also for it's not just like a biological imperative to Mm -hmm. to find your mate it's not just like a soul deep imperative either it's a you have physical consequences of not finding your mate and that is for the for the men it's like you you lose years of your life and you begin to just kind of deteriorate decay and well and deteriorate in different ways which Mm -hmm. actually was really fun to write in a gruesome kind of horrific kind of way because I could make it a physical clip decay but I could also make it a mental decay or a mm-hmm. and I think that's something everybody worries about going into old age because that really does happen and so maybe not quite as gruesome as <laughs> I make it with the poor dragons <laughs> their skin falling off in like sheets <laughs> exactly well and that also I think incentivizes it and it adds to the stakes because then they're like well if I I better find her so I'm going to keep trying and keep trying and so it's like no you're you're killing people while you're trying, like you're getting it wrong for the wrong reasons. Um, and so it kind of makes you think more about it than just your typical faded mates and you're just faded and move along. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have a lot of, for as like, I think in, in fantasy and in paranormal romance and in, in urban fantasy, we have this tendency to be like, okay, well, if it's fantasy, then, then the, the consequences are lessened because, because we have magic and therefore magic smooths over all wrinkles, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and so it is, it is definitely, uh, it's, it's of interest whenever an author takes something is like, no. This has real repercussions and it can destroy you. And it, this is also like something that this society has, whether they really want to admit it or not, completely formed itself around this this like integral piece of, of who they are as a culture, uh, yeah. even and though they have get like, it all this so, other stuff so there. wrong, too. It's with the mating council and the way that they're distributing mates which is yeah it's all wrong and it's like okay how are we going to fix this and it gives me some fun overarching plot things to to play with but Um, yeah in general I like to always add consequences of some sort especially in the fantasy space just because you're right it's so tempting as an author to be like they have magic and there's no consequence to how they use it and therefore I mean then then it's like well how big can they get then like there's no limits and so why why you know like how do you then add any kind of, um, I don't know, conflict to that. Because if they can just solve everything with magic, then they could just solve everything with magic. Yeah, I think if if there's no stakes, then nothing matters. Um, yeah. And in a romance novel, right, everything needs to matter <laughs> um, <laughs> in ways that, like, you can't you can get away with not really having in, like, a thriller, for instance, right? Um, beyond the physical consequences of what's happening in the novel, like, you, you kind of can gloss over a lot of stuff. But in a romance, yeah. like, you need to... Everything, every little psychological impact needs to be shown. It needs to be felt. Um, yes, yeah. So um, I realized, though, that I totally skipped over what I normally do, which is whenever <laughs> we have a, a new new guest on the podcast, I ask you uh, one question, which I, I think I know the answer. But, hey, it's actually a kind of a d- deep question if you think about it. I, I swear. There's a reason I ask it. Um, and that is, how do you feel about romance novels? <gasps> Romance novels are my jam. And here's why. And they have been since I was little. Um, my mom introduced me to romance novels because she read she read all historical romance novels. Mm-hmm. She had a whole shelf of them in her room. And about the time I hit like 10, I started noticing them, of course. And so she wrote the age. I was allowed to read each one <laughs> on the I inside covers. Um, and so I started reading those. But I also read like the teen ones. I don't know if you remember like the old. Oh, I have some. Um these old uh, Sunfire books. Oh like, my! Oh, though that is choice. Caroline oh. and yeah, you know, all those that were also historical. So I actually started with historical, but then I found 
these old 70s. I have these here too. <laughs> um, Harlequins. Oh, that's so good. Um, and these, especially now, crack me up because they're so, um, it's such a reflection of the culture at the time of what mm. romance was. And, um, you know, women weren't allowed to want sex. And so the man had to kind of manhandle them into it. And then they were like, oh, no, don't. But And so that's so far from where we've come as uh-huh. a society today. And now, so those are interesting to read. But um, to me, romance should be, I think, the basis for all stories <laughs> because... That's something that humans want in their lives, not necessarily a romantic kind of love, but love in general and connection with other humans. And so if you leave that out of stories, to me, you're leaving out a major portion of what is important to people. And I find that um, I for for years and years, I read, you know, just straight up romance. And then I read fantasy and and paranormal and sci fi separate because I didn't know that there were books that combined them, believe it or not, until Twilight. And then I was like, (gasps) oh. there's something that puts them both together. What? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then I started finding all sorts of books like that and was like, how did I miss these in the bookstore? Like, why were the bookstores missing this whole awesome, it's a amazing, question I ask myself all the time <laughs> section. And, and it's because like, I would read things like Lord of the Rings, for instance, or Star Wars and be like, they're really screwing up the like, this is a great adventure, but they're screwing up the relationships. Like, yeah. why are you messing with this? And and so, or they missed a whole piece. Like, why couldn't they have this? Like, Lord of the Rings just stuck the final romance in the epilogue, like in one of the 10,000 epilogues, you know? And yeah. I was like, that's because he just didn't think about it. That's why. And so, yeah, to me, romance, I think, should be in everything. It is the genre of happy endings and happiness and finding somebody that you can be totally yourself with and still go through all the adventures with as, you know, I, just to me, that should be, it should be in everything. I, to me, I, uh, romance, the the romance genre will always be the genre of empowerment. Um, And it's, it's tough because, you know, we, we're still struggling with things like diversity and representation in a a lot of different ways in in romance. It's still very much dominated by, you know, straight white women who think they think they, they know exactly what romance can be and there's no deviation. Um, But that being said, Romance itself, the fact that it exists as a genre, that it exists as a genre that is so big, I think speaks to the yearning for empowerment in our personal lives, um, as well as like, yeah, wanting to experience adventure and all this stuff, right? Um, and and I, I'm, I'm so terribly fond of, of romance because of that. Like, that's such a... That's such a good, wholesome, like, uh, mission statement, right? Just to, like, feel good and and know that the world is going to be okay for a while. Dang. Yeah. Like, you're guaranteed a happy ending at the end of that. Yes. Like, things will be wrapped up and it will be happy. And, yeah. Um, And especially in a world where that is not a guarantee from day to day. It's Mm -hmm. nice to have that as a guarantee. And I think you're absolutely right with the the empowerment and the let's reflect – um, society in a better way than it is. Let's let's have a hopeful stance on things. I think helps us to be kind of that leading edge of all right. Let's bring in um, those who've been marginalized for so so yeah. long, um, which is both I think absolutely needed and a challenge. As yeah. since I'm a white author myself, it's like okay, how do I want to do this right and do this, you know, yeah. um, with respect and with you know making sure that there's I'm not taking up more than my fair share space of the you know of the room and, um, you know, giving room for everybody. So I think it's just, it's, I think it is a symptom also of just what romance is. And that is, it is a psychologically driven, personal stories driven genre. And when you have something so built on personal stories, that means you have stories that are built on identity. And if we're not reflecting all identities, then we're, we're not reflecting anything. Yeah, exactly. We're fundamentally missing, a, like, a huge part of... <laughs> Life and society yeah. and everybody. Yeah, culture. Yeah. Well, and golly, I want everybody. Everybody deserves their happily ever after. That's my opinion. And so yeah. Yeah. the fact that they can get it in romance or should be getting it in romance, um, I think that's important. But... Yeah. And I think that's... It's funny because with romance, you know, you I think the biggest question you need to get is, like, it's so, it's so unrealistic. You know, it gives people unrealistic expectations or whatever. To which I want to be like, so when you go out and read your, you know, 
a thriller. You think you're now some CIA agent that's going to run out with your gun and go save the world and jump off a cliff and da 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 and survive it. Like, do you, mm-hmm. you now have those expectations of yourself? Like, it, it always astounds me when people are like, other than, you know, this fiction is legit and this is not. And it's like, mm, no. Meanwhile, the, the writing industry romance is the basis of it. I think we're something like 50% of the sales, basically. We keep the book industry alive for the rest of the books. So You know, it's 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 funny how that happens, isn't it? How whenever uh, the majority of, of an audience is women, automatically the thing is is worth less, huh? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's almost like it's almost like they don't like women. That's weird. Yeah. Well, and especially the the one that really like I I can understand men being like, mm, but other women, yes, who are well, like it's that internalized that? misogyny okay. thing, right? Like yeah. I I have to be different. I I I'm not like other women. I'm and and that's exhausting. It's exhausting. It is. I I have no patience for it. I understand it, but I don't have any patience for it. Just yeah. in the same way that I don't have any patience for people who do like romance but feel the need to qualify it with like, oh yeah, well I just like I just like trashy books, you know? It's yeah, like, and it's like no. No, you they're... like books about connection and people finding themselves and then making sure that the person with them actually supports that person that you are. And uh, yeah, it, it has it, it inherently has value, even if it's not something you enjoy. And that, that's that's yeah, that's okay. which is true, by the way, about every genre. I don't have to love the other genres out there. I'm not a huge, I don't know, biography buff unless I want to fall asleep. But other people that keeps them awake at night. Right. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's got their thing. Exactly. Um, so I, I think it's interesting um, that you started your love of romance. You, you dipped your toes into the romance hole um, with with historical romance. I'm mm-hmm. interested to f- hear about your path to writing uh, shifters and dragon shifters in particular, because you've written a lot. At this point, you've written quite a few books. Um, so I, I want to hear about that. You know, it's funny. So I did, I started writing contemporary romance. I probably started, I don't know, 30, 40 books that would get, I would get as many as a hundred pages into a book and Mm -hmm. just fizzle out and be like, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. And this is all through my teens and twenties that I'm doing this. And I I actually gave up writing for quite a little while in my teens because uh, mean girls teased me about being a writer and how weird that was. And I listened, which I shouldn't have. I got that. Like I know exactly what that's like. Yeah, yeah. If I could go back and tell my teen self anything, it would be don't listen to the people that I don't even remember who it is now. I don't remember their name. I haven't seen them since I left high school. Like they're non entities to me at this point. And so it's like, mm-hmm. why did I listen to that? That was ridiculous. Um, but it wasn't until I was on maternity leave with my first kiddo and was like, I had little time on my hands because he'd sleep and he'd you know eat but otherwise and then he'd lay there and like there's you know so I started writing that was right after Twilight had um, come out and I'd read the Twilight books and was like oh you can combine these genres that's awesome and so I wrote my and finished my first book this is about 2007 Mm -hmm. Um, and then stuck it in a you know under the bed (laughs) for a couple of years and until I heard about self-publishing through Amazon and Kindle and all of that and was like oh I could do that I could see I could put my work out there and see if it's good enough for me to bother doing anything else with it like if people come back with reviews where they're like this is the dumbest thing ever then I'll be like all right we're good and move on to something else and if they come back and they're like okay we can read this it's not unreadable then maybe I'll write a second book and we'll we'll go with it um and at the time I was working um at a tech company doing 60 hour a week job um I was getting my MBA my kids were two and four years old and I decided that that would be a great time to bring that novel I'd finished out find an editor edit it and self-publish it (laughs) and then write a second book. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, and then that started it because I think it was finding paranormal that got me through writing that first book. And once you write the first book, it's kind of like running a marathon where you go, Oh my gosh, I can do this. Like I can actually do this. Um, maybe not amazing the first time around. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was total crap. Um, But then I found an editor and they helped me make it way better. And then I found, you know, more workshops and writing groups and, uh, you know, write the next book and the next book and the next book. And each one progressively has gotten better. And I've 
found, I've really found my space. And now I still hop around. I have three different pen names and mm-hmm. um, I've tried a, a lot of different genres um, because I like reading them all. Pretty much anything with an HEA, I'm, it's amazing that I haven't started historical yet. Um, I, that's that's basically my journey. It was, you know, paranormal got me into it. And then it's, I was like, oh, I can write books. And now I've written 40. <laughs> it's so, oh, that's so, that's insane. That's so many books. Uh, I, it's funny because I, I also had a very similar experience. So um, when I, I was, a, I was a very late bloomer with reading and writing. Um, I, looking back now, I'm pretty sure I had some like uh, dyslexia that like made things harder for me. And then I got very discouraged. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I didn't, I wasn't reading at my actual reading level until I was maybe 11 or 12. And then I found uh, I found YA romance and I was off to the races. I just my You just have to find the right genre, I find. Yeah. Yeah. I and I and it's I think it's also, you know, I have an older brother, right? And so he was the reader and because I wasn't a reader, the only the, the books that we had in the house were majority like you know like ender's game like Mm -hmm. lord of the rings um they weren't they weren't really my vibe so i didn't really uh have much and i didn't think to i didn't know what i wanted so but i started reading fan fiction when i was about nine and that kind of opened the door um and then i realized that there was actual published books over there there's books (gasps) yeah um but then i i got twilight when i was i must have been i think just turning 13 and it might my whole world she doesn't changed in an instant um, you know say what you will about that book because i know a lot of people whatever make fun of sparkly vampires and stuff i'm like that book almost every person i say twilight's the reason i realized there was paranormal romance in the world every mm-hmm. person goes oh, that was my gateway book too so yeah. she brought in so many new fans and readers and introduced them to the world of paranormal romance in a way that made them just crave it more and so it's like hey she's she awesome. changed the game go she stuff anywhere yeah she did um, I, I, not only in, in just the ripple effects in the genre, but like in actual publishing, right? Like the yep. advances for YA just skyrocketed. They were like on the floor before Stephanie Meyer. Um, yep. but, uh, I, 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 it wasn't the, the books prior to that opened the door to reading Stephanie Meyer's, uh, Twilight opened the door to writing because I, That's this awesome. is, and this is not a dig on Stephanie Meyer, but I remember my exact thought and it was, Hey, this looks easy. <laughs> I think that's a hallmark of a good writer, though, because if they can make you feel like it would be easy to do that. What's funny is when you actually start writing and you go, oh, this is a lot harder. Than hey, this is hard. Ones. Hey, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> this is so hard. Why do, do people yeah. need to talk and grow and plot? What is plot? Uh, well, and specific things would jump out at me. Like the first time I wrote a kissing scene and I was like, how do you describe this in a way that's not ridiculous? Like. Yes, okay. I, that's still that's still hard because you also like no one tells you that you have to do it again and again and again and it never so gets you're like, easier. How do I do this in a way that they haven't read ten thousand yeah. times? Yeah, um, yeah. So it is. It's just interesting that like yeah, so many people have have that same experience of like Twilight kind of being like the 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 opening of the floodgates to this whole new genre. Um, yeah, which of course you know it existed prior to Twilight, but Twilight was accessible it was everywhere and it was and it was easy like it was easy to get lost in um whatever you think of the quality you cannot deny that no it's Um, very readable it's very readable so what made you settle on dragons um you know what's funny i was reading tons of um shifters vampires and all you know your your standard paranormals mm-hmm. yeah. um and had thought about so i had written the shadow cat nation series which mm-hmm. was uh, my um mountain lion shifters uh, and really loved writing shifters in general i love the idea that there is something inside you that is not necessarily more powerful but just powerful in a different way with different senses or different abilities or different that you can tap into and yeah. um, plus there's just the whole like i don't know alpha male thing which i know is going by the wayside with you know the whole <laughs> feminist movement but i still think alpha males are awesome there's something about a man who can growl let's be honest let's be honest exactly and so but you know the cougars were fun but i was like you know what i want to write something what is what is the most powerful creature i can think of Mm -hmm. that's just badass and it's like uh they can be huge they can be flying they can breathe fire and they still have but they still have like the teeth and the strength and the of all most other you know Mm -hmm. wolves jaguars cougars you know yeah they still have all that but they can also 
fly and breathe fire. And so it was like, I have to do this. Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty cool. That's cool. That's a cool combo. And also like the size of a plane. Like they're huge. Yeah. I mean, does it get any better? I don't think so. If you can ride Zio Man across the like state line, like then (laughs) he's he's worth it. He's better than an Uber. Uh, yeah. Oh man, I love dragons. I, I, they're amazing. I, it's so funny. Like, I, and I love the mythology around dragons. Yes, dragons are slept on. Yes. Man, I, I was pulling up. So we had, uh, we had an episode called, um, We Stand a Dragon Man. Um, and, uh, I, I, I found, I remember I, I pulled up my notes for that back when I still did notes, um, like a person who cares about the things she puts out in the world. But <laughs> I I found that I had like found all of these like biblical references to dragons, these like uh, Babylonian references to dragons. They've um, been since the beginning of time practically, whereas vampires didn't show up really until later. Um, and same thing with shifters. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's so interesting. And I, I wonder, like, is it as simple an answer as, like, dinosaur bones, you know? Maybe. It could be. I could see that. Um, yeah, I, I also like it when people use um, dragons as an explanation for other things. So, like, Michael Crichton with the 13th Warrior, which used to be called something or other else. Um, Eaters of the Dead, I think, is what it was originally called. But the dragon in that, it's it's actually the Beowulf story. And so oh. it's it's the Grendel and they're, they're carrying torches. Oh. But when it's coming down the mountain, it looks like a serpent, right? So like incorporating things that way where it's not quite a dragon, but you can see how that would enter the mythology that way if you saw something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, I don't know, I think a, a dragon in particular calls to that very human desire to connect with a more animalistic, um, fiercer nature. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's why we like shifters, but in particular dragon shifters. I mean, like you said, you can't find a creature that's more badass. You can't, Um, yeah, which made me really want to be like, okay, I got to find the Achilles heel for these guys. (laughs) And what an Achilles heel they have. I want to say, so readers, one of the things that like can kill a dragon in, in in your universe is that if they get like even like a little cut or whatever in their scales and then any dragon fire gets in there, their yeah. like whole body explodes. They melt from the inside. Yeah, basically. Sorry. Damn. Yeah. That sucks. Because you have to you have to be able to give something yeah. light a weak a weakness. Um, and what made me think of that actually was, I don't know if you remember the 80s movie um, Dragon Slayer. Super 80s. And like in that one, dragons aren't good. Dragons are terrorizing the community and killing them. Right, exactly. But um, and he has to go in and, and you know defend and like he uses the dragon scales as shields like against the fire and so i was like ooh, i like that that whole visual and so and that might be another reason why dragons are so much a part of it so like if you think about it early humanity we're just trying to survive right Mm -hmm. and there's things coming at us all over the ground and even if you're in the ocean sharks and things like that but there's nothing really coming at us from the sky that's gonna Hurt us, and so I could see people making up mythology about you know what are we missing that we need to worry about coming at us from the sky. Yeah, uh, and also I think it's that like primordial respect and reverence, and also fear of fire. Um, oh yeah, and you know not all dragons breathe fire. Like a lot of the East Asian dragons in breathe fire. A lot of mm-hmm. them are aquatic, which yep. makes sense if you think about the um you know the landscape that that the myths are coming from. Yeah. Um, but I think you know it's that very human deep deep animal brain kind of respect and terror of the flame um that i i it makes sense that we would attribute that to a being that would be larger than life right well and also the unknown like i'll be in a lake and in texas the lakes are you can't see it's muddy water and so it's (gasps) like there could be something under here that's just going to come up from beneath you know what i mean so it's like yeah <laughs> I used to I used to go to so my family a lot of my family lives up in Sacramento um in in California right and um up there we do have a lot of lakes we have beautiful lakes like Lake Tahoe which are yep. very clear and gorgeous very clear yeah and um, then- we also have lakes like uh you know that are incredibly muddy and disgusting and you can't see the bottom and yep. you sit on the shore and it's all clay and sharp rocks um and as a kid we used to go camping up there all the time Collins Lake is the lake I'm thinking of yep. and uh i i remember i just learned that like you 
like if you people drive into lakes sometimes and they don't find the cars at the bottom and like people dump bodies into lakes and so i got this visual into my head at like seven that if i walk into a lake and my feet squished into the mud sometimes there's something down there you may squish your feet down onto a diddly dang skull yeah my my toe caught in an eye socket you never oh yeah um, Falls of Lake. So I lived up in Northern California, Sacramento oh, yep. area. Mm-hmm. And um, this is about, gosh, this is about 10 years ago now when we were going through that horrible, horrible drought for years. Yeah. Um, and Folsom Lake got so low. So originally that's a reservoir. So it's a man-made yes. lake, right? And they had flooded portion of a town. Yes. And it got so low that you could go walk around the town buildings like a ghost town, which was creepy enough as it yeah. was. But to know that that was down there when you're swimming in it. Yeah. And all the times they like find cars with bodies in the cars. In them. Oh, yeah. I just, I can't with that. And I can't see the bottom. And then you look down and you see the sunlight filtering. And then sometimes it looks like tentacles waving. And I'm like, yeah. no, I can't. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm going to go sit on the shore, friends. Goodbye. Exactly. And we know, by the way, that monsters and dragons don't exist in lakes. And yet our imaginations are still like, hey, there's got to be something down here that's after me. Monkey brain. Monkey brain. Monkey brain don't care. Monkey yeah, brain don't like, care mm, that they know. Get out of this water. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Something's going to grab me. Exactly. Uh, I, oh, God. That just gives me the willies. Um, <laughs> I, there was a time where I was fearless in the water. And then as I've grown older and wiser, I've become much more terrified. Um, that's not. We're not meant to go in there. We're not an aquatic species. I've no. decided it. Yeah, it's not there's no place. gills, so therefore no. <laughs> we don't have webbing. We don't have gills. That's not for us. Of course, Maybe you're talking fish. shit. So I was a skydiver all through college and a little bit afterwards. And so, yeah, oh, I shouldn't so talk. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> some of us are fearless and then some of us are riddled with terror. Oh, no, no. It's not fearless. <laughs> I just <laughs> did it anyway. <laughs> I'm terrified of heights. <laughs> oh my, and then you, you write about people flying on the backs of dragons all the time. Abigail, what's happening? You know, the skydiving helped a lot with that. <laughs> I'm sure it did. <laughs> it was funny because I, I actually, I so I read I read The Mate last night and then I was thinking about um uh the, God, the, I'm blanking on the title of the first book in the Inferno Rising series. Mm, Rogue King. Rogue King, yes. Um, And how... She rides on his back for so much of that because they're on the they're on the run for like yeah. the majority of the book. Um, and I, I remember when I was reading that, I was like, You you describe like how miserable it would be to fly on the back of a dragon for a long time. Yeah. And I was like, I remember being like, Wow, yeah, that would suck. And that actually makes sense now that you would know how cold and terrible it would be. The wind, <laughs> how cold mm-hmm. it is up there. I even, especially writing those, I was like, okay, so this dragon has got a 40-foot wingspan, so its back has got to be this. Like, can she even do the splits around that? Like, I had to think through. <laughs> she's injured. She's holding how on to she scale. Like, holding she's, she's got a spike. Yep. Oh, man. If your boyfriend is not, he's not the most comfortable ride in yeah. that form, at least. It's not like in How to Train Your Dragon, which I, I think is one of the best dragon um, oh, stories so out there. So well written. And the the creativity with all the different dragons was amazing. But those are small dragons that you can ride on like a horse. <laughs> not mine. No, no. Uh, in Ruby Dixon's uh, Fireball Dragon series, um, she... I don't know. Do you know anything about those books? I know them. I have not read them. Okay. So those dragons are literally the size of uh, of planes. Like, they're massive. Yeah. They're like 747s. And they are all, like, gold, like, metallic gold. And, Very and cool. like, indestructible, essentially. Um, but they are, like yours, like, way too big. Like, you can't you can't ride them comfortably. You will just slide off. You'll just slide off. Yeah. Um, especially because, like, they're indestructible. That means also their scales are probably kind of slippery. Slippery. Exactly. <laughs> or spiky or something that's not going to yeah. be very comfortable to sit on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So her her heroines, what they do is they're also living in a post-apocalyptic society. So they go scavenging and they, like, make these just absolutely jank Saddles, saddles for their boyfriends <laughs> That's awesome. with like a bunch of carabiners and like oh, all like it. bungee yeah, cords and all on. stuff yep. yeah because they're like i don't want to die and their boyfriends are like well i'll just carry you in my claws baby and they're like, no no no, 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 no. no. Uh-uh. <laughs> i don't think so and then they get all offended because they're like you think i would ever drop you my mates you yeah. think i would drop you oh yeah and i have my dragons drop them <laughs> yes yes <laughs> shit oh god yeah. she go? there she goes she's so small <laughs> Well, and that's the other funny thing. With the skydiving, I can tell you I know exactly how fast you fall away from something that's going forward. It's mm-hmm. fast. And like the, like the whole scene in um, uh, Point Break where mm-hmm. 
Patrick Swayze jumps out and then Keanu Reeves doesn't have a shoot and then he's like, oh no, oh no. And then he jumps out. I'm like, he never would he never would have caught up to him. No. It's not possible. <laughs> no, you're not gonna go faster than him. You're gonna go yeah. at the same speed. And you get so small, so fast that you uh-huh. I mean, you spend most of your time just looking for where they are in the sky. You're like, the sky is really, really big, even for dragons. And so yeah. Well, and they can't exactly fun. like turn on a dime either. Like they're they're huge. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I, I loved I love the mechanics of like whatever, because it's just you're so good at grounding the fantasy in like these real world details. Particularly, I wanted to mention one thing that I really liked this like t- tickled the hell out of me was how uh, you you mentioned how these people live for many centuries. They are functionally immortal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so money is always an issue. <laughs> Yeah, how are you supposed to pay for things as you go along? Money changes, money, yeah. Whereas in most, it's like, it's the opposite. The answer is, oh, they live so long that money's not a problem. But like, I love that it totally made sense the other way too. Like, yeah, they would always be running out of money because they never die. Because they never die. And um, the other thing I ran into that was uh, like accents and what words they're going to use. Because I didn't want to have to... I think it pulls a reader out if they're... Especially in the paranormal space. Like in historical, it's easier to do, you know... Uh, dialogue and etc. with words that were actually historical but even then they still modernize it a great deal from yeah. what it actually was because there's just no way that readers it would just pull them out so much trying to figure out what words you're saying yeah. and so it was like well but actually if you think about it so say you move like when I moved from Texas to California I lost a lot of my accent because I wasn't around it hearing it all the time and I picked up a lot of the phrases that were like the phrases I use now are not the phrases I used in my 20s because nobody says those 90 phrases anymore unless they're yeah. joking and so your phraseology as you go through life does change. It's not that you're taking somebody from the 1600s and sticking them in the 2000s. It's that this person has evolved over the 400 years it took you Mm -hmm. to get there. And so that was interesting to play with too. I I do like how you... um... So we follow a lot of the the blue clan. Mm-hmm. Like the, the blue Initially, blue it, yeah. Yes. It gets less um, so as we go along, yeah. Yeah, and I, I love how they have their their base of operations their home is in mm-hmm. is in scotland right yeah um, and so you have like always you like to sneak in these little like they may have like american accents but every once in a while they'll do I'll something. Put a little british thing yeah. in there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i because I, I was like I, I when i was reading the mate last night i was like oh that's a that's a british thing that's a what is he is he oh what is he oh you oh, don't know yeah oh. and then she pointed out she's like why do you sound british sometimes what's what's up with that and he's like oh yeah because oh, yeah. i'm like 700 years old and i uh, i originally yeah i started over there then i went over to america when it was a brand well brand new for europeans america yeah um you know and then came back yeah so i had to think through a lot of that as well as just what was actually going to be readable mm-hmm. um because originally, um, I was going to have Finn in The Boss, which is the next book after The Mate, yeah. be entirely British. And my uh, editor was like, but he's in America and he's been there for the last 300 years. So, yeah. like, would he still have that accent? And I was like, mm, probably not. He'd probably hang on to a few words. I'm, I'm interested as we're as we're approaching the the end here of, of this year podcast episode. I am I am interested to hear how these books came about. Because you said you, you pitched them to, to your editor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like, a, oh, you were sitting at your desk one day and just started writing the first one um so how did these books start it was actually a little bit of both so mm-hmm. i was i had started my brimstone ink believe it or not series came first and um, mm-hmm. as a complete and they were just going to be like funny little kind of rom-com sort of a different creature and a different contemporary romance trope for each book yes and um at the end of one of those books i had introduced the idea of the main character delilah having a private investigator who was a dragon shifter Mm-hmm. And she needed him to save a woman that she, he didn't know what it was and it was going to be a phoenix. Mm-hmm. And so um, I start writing this book and it was just, it's what eventually became The Rogue King. And it was mm-hmm. such a big world off the bat that I was yeah. like, oh, this can't be a novella and this can't be part of the Brimstone Ink series. This needs to be its own series with dragons and phoenixes. Mm-hmm. And at the same, at the, at pretty much the same exact time, I had been pitching Paranormal to my editor at Entangled, who I'd done two rom-coms with, just contemporary rom-coms. And she was like, send me some ideas. And so I had sent her some ideas, including the uh, firefighter dragons. And we, she had a call with me. And we were just going back and forth. And I was like, well, I am writing this dragons and phoenixes. And she was like, stop right there. <laughs> 
what? And I was like, yeah, it's doing this. And so that's what ended up turning into, she ended up signing that before any of the ideas I originally pitched her Mm -hmm. for the um, paranormal in general. And then that turned into, you know, what we should do is we'll do these. And then in the same world, we'll do the firefighting dragons. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's how the, the two came about. And then as that was going on, I was like, well, since it originated from Brimstone, why don't we change those books up a little bit and just pop them in as fun little kind of in between things. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's really cool. I, I, It's funny how that happens sometimes where you can do all this planning for a different series and you can do all of this stuff and then all of a sudden a whole world will explode in front of you out of nowhere. Yeah, it really uh, did. It was just like, wow, this is, mm, this is big. I need to put this into a series. And so, yeah. Oh, that's that's so neat. Um, all right. So as a, as a closing statement here, I'm Gil Owen, uh, what do you think the uh the chances are that we are going to get a wave of dragon shifter books like we're getting a wave of alien romances uh you know I think who's gonna talk to of, book talk i wish i wish we saw more of them and um, i think we've kind of seen the wave of dragon shifters because like you've mentioned ruby dixon and um there's just i saw as soon as mine started coming out i was like oh there's dragons everywhere uh, which i love because i think they needed their own day i wish there was yeah. a bigger day unfortunately i think the wave of dragon shifters hit right as paranormal was kind of having its slump yeah in general which kind of stinks because these are such fun books and it's like oh come back readers we've got great stuff for you um hopefully hopefully they come back um in, in some kind of big way soon i would love to continue these series right now i'm finishing up both fire's edge and inferno rising series and um, so they're both stopping but i've got i've left enough open that i'm like there could be spinoffs editor, i mean know, publisher you got, please you got so many characters in your yeah. books like there is you have ample room for spinoffs for sure i have spreadsheets yeah <laughs> oh, <God>. so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's like for every clan of dragons, right? There's like hundreds of dragons. These guys and these guys and these guys. Yeah, Yeah. and they're all looking for love. Yes, they are. They've been waiting for a while. Those poor suckers. (laughs) I I also, uh, listeners, if you if you haven't read these books, which. I, go read them. But uh, one of the reasons they're still waiting for so many of them are waiting for their mates is because like they don't there's no the female dragon shifters that are born are all sterile. So they have to find their mates amongst humans who have like a special mark, essentially. Mm-hmm. So like it is hard. It's hard to find your lady. It's difficult. I really made it hard on them. <laughs> you did. And then you may think that she's your lady and then you try she and then she lady. dies. Whoopsie. Someone yeah. get the, the fire extinguisher. She's burning up from the inside. Oh, no, too late. Well, and then, then the poor guy thought he found his soulmate. Oh, so and hard he, on them. And then he killed her. Yeah, gosh, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Rip. Bad date. It's a bad oh, date. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, this is the plug zone. What would you like to plug? Sure. So I'll plug the ending of both of these series. So both yes. of these series are wrapping up. Um, I've got The Trader coming out. That's the last of the Fire's Edge series books. And that's coming out August 16th. And then The Cursed King, which is the last of the um, Inferno Rising books, will be coming out. So um, I don't have a date yet, but I have been told that it's probably going to be September. They're pulling the date in a little bit. So as soon as I have a date for that and a cover for that, you'll see it come out. Um, And in the meantime, to celebrate the... um, Fire's Edge, the last book of that, I have sales going on. So um, the Rookie, the Enforcer, and the Protector are all $1.99 right now, and that's until August 13th. Um, the Mate, as you said, is always free, so that's just a free prequel available. And the Boss will be um, free August 2nd through 13th. So that's so you can get pretty much the whole series for, like, rock bottom. That's, that's a steal, man, because also these books are, like, they. I mean, they're not, they're not novellas. Well, the first one's kind of... Is a shorter book. That yeah, the mates is. and novella, but the rest of them are all pretty meaty. <laughs> they're they're beefy. They're beefy boys. I they mean that to, in many ways. They have to cut me down. They're like, okay, you wrote too many words, and I'm like, what? There is no such thing. What do you mean it can't be 150,000 words? <laughs> exactly. What are you talking about? Did you not see all the dragon stuff I put yeah, in there? I had stuff. There was, I had things to resolve. They had to go across the world on a crazy road trip and find his car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that car was so fun. <laughs> the car, I loved that detail. I'm not even a car person, but the idea that this man, his like, he's a dragon who can fly and he, it, 
It is it is so necessary to be able to get his car wherever he needs it to be because he would just be able to go anywhere. And yeah, and what is he going to do with his car then? Ditch his car somewhere? No. no. But also the absurdity of knowing that this dragon who can fly also needs a car that will appear anywhere. <laughs> Stunning. <Thanks>. Stunning. So <laughs> good. Oh, uh, these are so fun. And then she, like, tries to steal it from him, right? Like, didn't she, like, steal his car? She does. She steals her car. It's the first thing they do she does when they so meet. So good. <laughs> so good, my feral child. Um, oh, delicious. I need to go back and reread that book. So um, All right. So go get uh, go get those books. The, the Trader's coming out on August 16th. I will have the pre-order link below. I will also have the link to The Mate, which you can read for free today. Uh, and you will probably also be able to read, by the time this comes out... The boss for free, like you said, it's going to be August second to free. August thirteenth. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Blood King, which is the second book in Inferno Rising, is also ninety nine cents right now. So. Oh, dag. Okay. All, yeah, you can get all over the place for, for a steal, man. Yeah. Um. And so those links are going to be below, of course, in the description. Um. As usual. Um. As for me, we have merch out. Uh, I'm going to be putting some new merch up, but right now, currently, we have a, a aliens, more like aliums mug. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, we also have that as a sticker, and then we also have uh, "Don't Don't Talk to Me Until I've Had My Nutrient Slurry Mug" up. <laughs> it's just as gross as you think. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're also going to be doing probably an "Oh Boise" sticker, um, and and I assume we will also be doing a spanking corner sticker uh, slash yeah. I say a lot of wild stuff on this podcast, Abigail. <laughs> you know, it's fun, though. I think it's the paranormal romance in us. It makes us talk about the most interesting. I have the most interesting conversations. I mean, it's hard not to, right? Yeah. Like, at a certain point, you just got to get into it and be weird about it. Because and have of... fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have those up. That is at kingdomthirst.redbubble.com or in the link below. We also have a fantastic Discord full of degenerates who I love very much. Um, that is a Citizens of Thirst Discord link below you can email me at kingdomofthirst.com or kingdomofthirst at gmail.com i've done like 50 of these episodes you'd think i'd get it right um <laughs> on social media is kingdom thirst everywhere except for the places that i'm not and abigail k kelly on twitter um that's about it uh yes i'm gonna i'm probably missing something i don't know drop a review do whatever review abigail's books it helps it's awesome it's great talk talk to your friends about it love it Post it somewhere. I don't know. Uh, make fun of me online. It's fine. Exposure is exposure. I don't care. Um, <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on, Abigail. It's been a delight. And maybe we'll even have a, a, a Dragon Man. Uh, we stand Dragon Man 3 with more experts <laughs> coming. That would be awesome. And thank you so much for having me on. This was so fun. Oh, I'm glad. Uh, we will talk again soon. And you can listen to the next episode next Wednesday. Bye!